Courtney Matsoki from Azuro Dream Travel, and this is Locali. In this episode, we are heading south to Sicily, the largest island in the Mediterranean. The landscape of Sicily seems to contradict itself, dry with green pastures and rocky cliffs and beaches with a view of sparkling, incredibly blue Mediterranean coastline. Sicily is hilly, mountainous, and fertile thanks to Mount Etna, Europe's highest active volcano. The island has an incredible history, being inhabited over 10,000 years ago and, due to its strategic location in the Mediterranean, highly coveted and invaded for thousands of years by great cultures such as the Siculi, the Sicani, the Greeks, the Phoenicians, the Arabs, Normans, Romans, and the list goes on. As Anthony Bourdain said in one of his travel documentaries, Sicily has belonged to everyone but its own people. Yet the island's many layers and ethnicities bring diversity and richness to its culture. It is vibrant, colorful, prideful yet humble, genuinely authentic, warm. Today we are making the trek to a hilltop town located in the heart of Sicily, central, about an hour from the southern coast. Benvenuti a Musomeli. You may have heard of Musomeli as it has been promoted as one of Italy's many towns participating in a not-for-profit project to sell its abandoned homes for one euro, or approximately $1.20. Reasons we will get into later. One of my favorite quotes is, leap and the net will appear, a Zen proverb. Our guest today did just that when he left London and a job that he loved to start a new life in small town Sicily to renovate a house he bought for the tiny sum of one euro, all with the goal of starting a community kitchen with the belief that food has the power to transform lives. So I would like to welcome digital consultant, speaker, food campaigner, and can I add blogger of the site, good for good, Danny McCubbin. Ciao, benvenuto. Ciao, Courtney. Grazie mille. It's so nice to be speaking to you. So nice to see you as well. And uh, thank you very much for giving me this opportunity and a fantastic introduction into about Sicily. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, yeah, Sicily is just an absolutely stunning region and still so many places off the beaten path to visit. Um, so you are originally from Australia. And in 2003, you began a long and successful career with chef and campaigner um, Jamie Oliver as a digital consultant, correct? That is correct. Yes. Um, 17 years, I, nearly 17 years, I worked with Jamie and uh, incredible time um, and loved every minute of it, learned so much from him. And that's where my passion for Italy was really, really started. That's amazing. So you were creating various social media and marketing campaigns for him with the aim to promote healthier food and home cooking skills in the UK and abroad. So maybe let's begin by talking a little bit about your um, personal and professional experiences and maybe how this has led to your appreciation for food and how it can be used as a force for positive change. Yeah, so I was like many Australians. I backpacked and toured Europe, and I'm very fortunate as my grandparents, both on my mom and my dad's side in Australia, are from Scotland and England. So we we grew up with sort of very UK uh, traditions, particularly around food. And so London and the UK was, you know, a place of fascination for me for a very long time. And as I said, like many Australians, I took off and and backpacked for two years. Went home, thought that I got traveling out of my system, but evidently I didn't <laughs> because I longed to go back and see, see Europe. So in 1998, I applied for my ancestry visa to go and live and work in London. And I really thought at the time, Courtney, that I would just maybe spend a couple more years 
working and traveling, I'd never expected that I would end up calling London my home for 23 years. And how that happened was I I uh, worked in London for the first four years, just temping at various jobs. And then I went traveling for another year. And my fifth year, I was like, right, I want to live in London. This is where I want to be for a while. And so I had no job and I was down to my last few pennies and I sent my um, <laughs> CV out to everyone I knew. And a good friend of mine was Jamie's art director. And I, of course I knew of Jamie. I, I really respected everything he did around food. Uh, he had filmed the Jamie's Kitchen series where he took um, a group of disenfranchised young people and trained them to be top class chefs. So I was very fascinated with that. I loved his style of cooking. I loved how he made food accessible. So I went for the job interview um, in 2003 as PA to the head of marketing. And at the time I was just, my interview was at 15 at the restaurant. So I was just totally enamored that this man had, you know, mortgaged his own home to start this restaurant. No one was talking about social enterprise back then. No one was talking about right. businesses that have social value. And my first interview, the apprentices were there working away. They were, they were distinguished from the other chefs because they had white hats on. And I just thought to myself, wow, I really want to be a part of this. My grandparents are farmers, were farmers back in Australia. I grew up with a good sense of food, a good sense of knowing about where food comes from. As a family, we grew all our own produce. And so I, I was enamored with the, what Jamie had done, but not really by him as the celebrity status, because in Australia back then in particular, everyone sort of knows somebody who's on telly or you kind of read, you know, have people that the celebrity isn't kind of a thing back then um, in Australia. So I ended up getting the job, which was extraordinary. And then for 17 years, I really worked at the heart of all of Jamie's food campaigns. So whether that if I was head of social media or website editor, I worked really closely with Jamie on, on those campaigns. Obviously, 15 was hugely successful where we trained unemployed youth to become top class chefs. The school dinners program where we tackled the UK government to feed uh, young people better at school. The ministry of food program, which is about teaching families how to cook. So it really, um, for me, it really started my passion around food campaigning. And Jamie was a, a great mentor. I was his PA for four years. And in that time, he encouraged me to volunteer for other charities and other organizations. And just over 10 years ago, I started volunteering for an Italian community called San Patrignano. Uh, and that's how I ended up having a passion for Italy. Um, extraordinary time with Jamie, but I also I, I knew that there was a time where I would think about leaving, which was difficult because right. I loved, loved being there. Uh, but I knew it, two things happened. One, I wanted to live in Italy. And then secondly, I was very sad that the UK was leaving the European Union. So right. I thought to myself, how can I then move to Italy and up pops this opportunity, the One Euro House project? Right. We're, and we'll get into that in just a second. I'm super excited to share that story. So going back to your not-for-profit work, it is so inspiring to me. You mentioned in a previous conversation your work on Cook for Syria, which was originally the idea to curate one charity dinner for or with one chef and instead turned out to be a banquet with six chefs and it sold out in a matter of days. So it was all to kind of help UNICEF UK's effort to help children and refugees affected by um, the crisis in Syria. See, So yeah, Courtney, I think what happened for me was I also, just working for Jamie, 
the I realized that I started to gain a lot of skills around how food can be a, a absolutely powerful, yeah a powerful agent for change and also I started all of us when I started there were like 17 of us in the whole company so everyone was involved on how to keep that restaurant 15 which was social enterprise how to keep it running so fundraising supper clubs lots of different projects that I worked on and so I started being asked if I could volunteer and on other projects as well so cook for Stir- Siri was started by an incredible Instagram, I, I don't like the word influencer, but he, he is. Um, he's a <laughs> well boy. And he basically, incredible profile on Instagram, but wanted to give back, particularly when the refugee crisis was at its height in, in London. So he, it did start as one dinner, but then it turned into a book. And so I helped um, Clarkwell Boy um, with that to get that book off the ground. And then it just sort of opened up doors for me to see how, you know what, in this time of turmoil in this world, food is the one thing that we all have in common. So I Absolutely. Did, yeah, I did a fundraiser as well where I took a group of graduates to Calais to cook for refugees on Christmas Day around five years ago. And so incredible experiences where, you know, having grandparents as farmers where I know that food is so important in, in daily life, but it's in Australia, it's also important in terms of crisis right so you know if there's a bushfire or there's troubles in the country in australia everyone arrives with food and food is the way that heals and kind of you know brings people together so i then started volunteering for other charities other organizations um and i also started to mentor young people particularly through 15 so a lot of the young people that were chefs had many of them had challenges with drugs and alcohol I ended up doing a um, completing a life coaching and mentoring course to then mentor the graduates from 15, which then led me to the community in San Patrignano as well. Again, so you, you will, you just basically alluded to what I want to talk about next, um, your work in San Patrignano. So it's in the Emilia Romagna region. And for location purposes for our l- listeners, we will say northeastern Italy. So you've spoken on topics such as challenging the status quo on addiction. So many people are affected by addiction. It's a pandemic. And either each of us either has a friend or a family member um, or knows of a friend or uh, with a family member fighting against addiction. So let's discuss a little bit about your work here in San Patrignano. So at 15, as I mentioned, many of the apprentices that came to us were suffering from challenges around drugs and alcohol. And so at 15, you know, I had the experience of seeing how when you give somebody in that state of despair, love, purpose, family, trust, assurance, but you also give them, teach them a skill that has incredible right. effects then on their relationship to drugs and alcohol. And so for me, there was a personal interest as well. It's something that's affected my, my family and my immediate family. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was fascinated with San Patrignano when I first went there 10 years ago because their solution to addiction is a social one, not a medical one. So sadly, right. I know it's in the States as well that uh, the, the uh, addiction is, is, you know, is ring-fenced in the same uh, categories as mental health challenges. Uh, and therefore, the solution is let's give this person more medication. So most people who are, you know, suffering from the challenges of addiction, the last thing they need is is another drug or, or medication to as a solution. So San absolutely is the world's most successful drug rehabilitation community, 72% success rate. Over 30,000 people have been there. And so when I first went there, Courtney, you can imagine I'd had a taste of that at 15, just with 18 apprentices. 
Uh, and then I walk into this community where it's not just a place where they teach you to be a chef. There's 52 different skills that you learn in that community. It's long-term, it's free, it's a very difficult program to be in. So you're cut off from society, you don't have phones, you don't have internet, you don't have music. You don't, it's, it's very strict, very monastic in many ways, although it's not religious. Uh, and the simple premise is that if you, the first year is the hardest. So the first year you don't see your family and friends, you can just write letters. The first year, if you get past the first year, they then give you the context how to rebuild your life again. And you do that through learning a skill. So again, it's difficult, three and a half to four years. It's not for everyone. So you have to be detox before you go there. Um, and I was just totally enamored with how humane and beautiful that community was. Uh, and so I basically went back to the UK and I started becoming connected with San Patrignano by, they christened me their UK San Patrignano Ambassadore because I ended up getting all their products into Selfridges in the UK. I started attending all the conferences and spending time in San Patrignano and kind of learning about what made the, the community so special. And then around five years ago, they asked if I would be interested in setting up an, uh, an association in the UK that could help UK residents to go to San Patrignano. And since then, I've helped uh, 13 UK residents. And conversely, pre-Brexit helped 27 graduates in San Patrignano to come and live and work in the UK as well. So lately, the, sadly, the community has, has had some bad press. Um, there's a series on Netflix that's been... Um, been uh, was launched last year and you know I, there are some unfortunate things that happened in that community in the 70s and I know that a few of those things are challenging but it's sad it was very sad for me to see a series that just focused on all the negative things that happened I mean right Vincenzo Muccioli who started the program in the 70s they had some very drastic measures for heroin addicts to keep them in the community including them locking you know locking them in rooms the parents mm -hmm. wanted Vincenzo and others to do that. They were like despairing to say, my child needs to have this, you know, such strength and such force to be able to keep them away from the streets and taking heroin. So I don't know. It's just, I have a love, like a healthy skepticism around television and, and, and broadcasters and Netflix. Cause I've seen having worked for Jamie for 17 years, how TV can right. turn on a dime um, and sensations. It's just sad that that program, they made a program that just really just focuses on the negatives. Especially when it's doing so many good things, as you exactly. say. Exactly. I mean, Courtney, there are some, there are some many good things that have come out of it since, since on social media, so many of the people that have done finished at San Patrignano and leading a drug-free life have come out and supporting the community. But for me, that began, that um, first visit to San Patrignano was where I first fell in love with Italy. And, you know, the similarities between Australia, between the food and the culture and the land. And I just, yeah, I completely fell in love with it. Befriended many Italians. And so that's when I decided that one day I would like to live in this beautiful country. Right. And so one day you just decided to buy a one euro house, right? <laughs> so how, how, did, how did your journey to Musumeli begin? Yeah. So like many people, I read a news article maybe two years ago, I think it was on CNN, where Italian towns were selling houses for the cost of an espresso, so one euro. Uh, <laughs> it really started... Um, as a way because there's depopulation in these towns so young people have left right. these towns to go to look for work 
in other countries and other cities and main cities. And so the, the grandparents have no, no one to leave the houses to. So they're just abandoned and left in ruin. And, and I, Courtney, at the time, I thought, oh, it seemed to be too good to be true. And all the images that they posted were of rubble. And I, even though it was in the back right. of my mind, but I was in a really fortunate position because I had so many Italian friends who I could say, look, I'm, I'm interested in finding out if it is too good to be true or if it is something that maybe I can do once I leave London. And so my friends and I researched, there are very many different programs that towns offer. So the reason I chose Musameli is that the it's very easy. The scheme here is very easy. There are no hidden costs. There's no deposit you have to pay. Uh, it's not like a lottery. There's no minimum requirement in terms of cost of the renovation. All that you need to do is to sign a form to say that you will renovate the house within three years. It does cost one euro. However, then there's paperwork and the notary as well, which can cost anywhere between three and 5,000 euros. And right. it can be expensive if, for instance, the house that you buy, they've done some renovation to the house, added on a room without informing the municipality. And then a lot of more paperwork has got to, has to be done to, to complete the sale. However, it is seamless and Musameli. It's run by an agency. Um, I think you can share the link in when we post um, Immobiliar, Immobiliare Siciliano. <laughs> Wonderful um, English speakers that can help you. Uh, Valeria is the person there. She's incredible. But then also the deputy mayor, Totti, who started the program, speaks English as well. There's, um, so everything is transparent here and they make it very easy to buy the one euro houses. For me, I also wanted to to live somewhere which was remote. Uh, I didn't want to live near Catania, Palermo. I didn't want to live somewhere which was touristy. I really wanted to, um, I'm a country boy at heart and I really wanted to be somewhere where it wasn't packed in summertime with tourists and where I could just start a life for myself. So I flew here three times from London and I saw 28 properties before I chose the one that I chose. And in the back of my mind and in my heart, I always envisaged that this wouldn't be a house that would be my home, that it would be something that I could turn into a project for the town to give back to the town, knowing that I had all that experience around community and food. So I bought the house in, I guess it was May 2000 and no, sorry, it was uh, 2019, uh, around September. And then <laughs> I left work and left London, well, left work October, went back to Australia for three months, flew back to London on February 2020, and then on my way to Sicily. And then, of course, the pandemic uh, struck. Wow. So, how difficult is the process realistically? For example, if I went to Sicily and wanted to buy a one euro home, for the average person who, you know, we all have heard, like you said, about the skepticism, you know, behind purchasing a one euro home, what might I expect during the process? Any tips that you might be able to give? Um? <laughs> I tell everyone who is interested that don't think that you're getting a bargain, you're going to renovate this house and sell it on don't think you can buy 10 don't think that this is a business opportunity first and foremost right. the best way to approach this is to think about how can i become part of this community because 
there are many houses that are for sale for less than 10,000, less than 20,000 that are fine that you can move into straight away and don't even have to renovate. So right. it's not a business opportunity. It's more if you, it works, if you work remotely, I think it's perfect, a perfect place for you to live, particularly Mussamelli. The internet is good here. Um, you must, my, my advice to people is also don't just, go and visit one town visit as many towns as you can that are offering the one euro houses because it's really important that you have you know somebody might like muslim i love muslim i love it the fact that it's remote i love the fact there's no train station here i love the fact that you know it's quiet i love i love the fact that it's off the beaten track a little bit some people might want that so first piece of advice is go and visit as many towns as you can find out what the program is that you're signing up to as i said before Different towns offer different programs in terms of the requirements to buy. Third, for Musmeli, you it's not possible to view any many of the houses online or to buy online. You have to make an appointment and come to the town, and that's really important because it, for the reasons that I mentioned about you know is it a town that you would want to live or even to have a sec, as a second home. Um, there's a lot of kind of um, misinformation about whether you have to live here full time to own one of the euro one euro houses you don't you can have it as a second home the only thing too is a lot of people ask me does it mean then if you own a home that you can get residency in italy that's not the case either so there are obviously check your visa requirements uh, right and then also just look at it what what do you want to do like if your driving force is it's a money-making venture I'm sorry, it's not the program for you. If your driving force is, I would like to relocate to this town, this to Sicily, then perhaps this is a way. Or if your driving force is, I'd love to have a project that I work on, work on as a second home, and then maybe one day move here, then that this is the place for you as well. Right. And because, you know, the, the purpose of these projects is to rebuild the community. So you yeah. want to really look at how you can be become a part of the community, like you yeah. said. So you moved to Musomeli with the goal of buying a one-year home, renovating, as you said, and starting this community kitchen in your home to support and bond the community. So, But you are not new to launching community kitchens, as you had two in London that were um, very successful projects. So let's talk a little bit about the concept of a community kitchen, because it's not necessarily a soup kitchen. And I think that's important to clarify. Yeah, definitely. So obviously I'd had a lot of experience around cooking for large numbers of people, using surplus foods uh, as a way of cooking for, for vulnerable people. London last year, February, I was on my way to Sicily and then the pandemic struck. Uh, luckily I had a really good friend who had a spare room, so I stayed stayed with him. And then I just put the word out to say, look, I'm in London. I have, you know, I've got a good food network there, just with all the volunteering I'd done and my contacts through Jamie. Uh, and I was approached by a local resident in North Kensington. When the pandemic struck, and it was probably similar to many cities all over the world, there were many charities, food-based charities that had to close because a lot of them were run by elderly people who needed to shield. But then also, conversely, there was so much food that was going to waste because restaurants were closing, um, delis were closing, catering companies, and all of this food was sitting there. And then obviously the charities that would usually distribute that food were having to close as well. And so all over London, not just my projects, people who have experience in food and chefs just started cooking in spaces that they could find. The local council and the, the mayor were very supportive of these projects happening. Uh, they were very, it was very spontaneous what happened as well. 
Um, I worked with two food charities, City Harvest and the Felix Project, and they're the massive charities in the UK that rescue food and then distribute it to um, people that, that need it. So what happened in Notting Hill and North Kensington in that area, there are a lot of school children who are going to schools where the only meal or the only decent meal that they would have been getting was at that school, whether they come from extreme poverty or their parents couldn't cook. So a lot of school children were going hungry. A lot of people that were homeless were needed to be fed. And then also a lot of people who had signed up to local food banks. Um, conversed, sadly, what happened with the food banks as well, a lot of the food that was being delivered required kitchens for the families to cook in. Some of these people have no kitchens, not even a microwave. So it was really important to get a cooked meal in London out to these families and people that really needed it. So this uh, person approached me when I put the word out and she said, look, I've got a church kitchen uh, in a church in Notting Hill. Uh, obviously the church had closed down. It was a very basic kitchen. She said, would you come and see if you could start cooking for the people that were needing that food, needing food. And so in a matter of a week, we I signed up with the food surplus charities, um, Felix Project and City Harvest. I had uh, two burners, an oven, a sink. I got all kitchen equipment um, donated. I had a team of volunteers, chefs through my network. And after a, after a month, we were delivering 2,000 meals to vulnerable people in that town. We became kind it's of incredible. like a center, a, a, a hub for other projects that so we were helping the Red Cross. There was a Hindu organization that were looking after a lot of people from India that weren't being fed as well. There was a um, mosque where um, the Muslim people were looking after each other. So basically what happened, it didn't matter what denomination you were, what religious if religion you were, where you were from, what, you, what your background was. Our church then became a hub for all those charities in the region and a distribution center. So it was extraordinary what we were able to do in a really short amount of time and extraordinary how people just put aside any differences that they may had, have in the past um, and worked, really worked well together. So I set that project up in three months and then the woman that was running it got a big grant from the mayor so they were, she was able to run it and pay people, which I didn't want to be paid, it was all voluntary. And then the second kitchen I set up was with a little charity that uh, works with people who have challenges around drugs and alcohol, mental health challenges. A lot of them, there were 70 of their community that would never be able to cook for themselves. So I did a similar project where we worked with City Harvest and uh, the Felix Project and delivered meals to those people. And the most important thing for me, Courtney, was we didn't cook with meat. Um, it was really important that from food hygiene and in terms of delivering, because we had volunteers delivering the food. Sometimes it might take a little while to be delivered. But I also wanted to show that I'm not a vegetarian myself, but I'm more flexitarian, so I'm not a big meat eater. However, I wanted to show that vegetarian food can be delicious, nutritious. And also I knew that these people really needed to get nutrients and they really needed to get good food. So... That was my experience in London. And then when I flew and moved here to Musamele, I thought to myself, you know what, I'd love to do the same thing in the house here because there's no community kitchen and the town faces the same challenges that many um, that London does, does as well in terms of the supermarkets have surplus food and there are vulnerable people. The difference here, Courtney, is that the vulnerable people in this town of Musamele, so those that have lost their jobs through COVID, 
um, are turning to the church for food and the church is then going to the supermarket and buying the food, yet the supermarket is um, throwing food away. So it's a very simple simple process my, that I'm starting. I'm starting with one church and one supermarket. And in Italian, as you know, piano, piano. So start small, build trust, teach the town what I'm doing because a lot of people think that I'm a chef. They're like, ah, oh, chef, yeah, quacko, quacko, you're starting a restaurant. <laughs> um, it's not, it's, um, yeah, so that's, that's the plan. Uh, and then on the back of that, I'm launching a chef training program for young chefs because when my experience in London was that a lot of the chefs that came to volunteer and work with me had very few skills on how to take a big crate of produce and turn it into something nutritious and how to upscale recipes. So I'm going to pay young chefs um, to come and work with me for six weeks and learn how to work in a community kitchen. And the idea is that they then go back to their towns and either work in community kitchens or set community kitchens up themselves as well. That's really cool. So, and you started a crowdfunding project in order to raise money for some of the renovations for the community kitchen and to help run the kitchen. And you smashed your goal. Um, were you surprised at the support you had for this project? Absolutely, Courtney. I was <laughs> overwhelmed. I've done crowdfunding before and I don't know. Do you know, I've always volunteered for other organizations. So it's always been San Patrignano or for Jamie's campaigns or for Cook or for other projects. And I've never really, you know, raised money for my project. I mean, this project is Muslim Ali's project. It's not my project, but initially it is my project to the point where I'll <laughs> get to hand it back to the town. So I was just nervous about um, doing it myself, but I soon realized that the story and my story just resonates with a lot of people. And I think that the turning point for me was when I, because my, my fear was like most of my contacts are in the UK and who's going to want to, you know, sponsor and support me for a project that has nothing to do with them in this tiny town in Sicily. So when I then launched the community cooking course for young chefs, that's when it resonated with people really from all over the world because I want chefs, young chefs, to come come and cook with me from all over the world. Um, so I set a target of 15,000, I raised 24,000, and then I have a further offline donation of 12,000 that will be donated to me once I set up the project up as a Italian charity, which I'm in the process of doing. Um, extraordinary and just 240 pledges from people uh, it really I think touched and resonated with a lot of people about what I was doing and I was overwhelmed and 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 just I don't know it just it was just a beautiful time of people in lockdown and they needed a story to make them feel a bit better that there's some good things happening out there um, and so, yeah, I was overwhelmed and, and very happy, obviously. That's that's amazing. Um, and and you see food as a, a route for work uh, or to work for disadvantaged and at-risk youth. So when I say this, it kind of reminds me of um, I taught English for a while in Dijon, France. And for a professional development opportunity, teachers from abroad were invited to visit a high school that offered a cooking path where high school students were trained as chefs, cooks, and the community was invited um, to eat lunch daily um, in the cafeteria for a very small fee. So they would kind of cook this meal. People would um, come in from the community. It gave them experience and it really gave them a path. 
for after they finish high school. After your work in San Patrignano, and now focusing on the community kitchen in Musomeli, how can food be used to support and empower the community there? Definitely. So there's 50% youth unemployment in Sicily. The figures are, that's terrible. You know, that, that, that saddens me. There are, you know, and these towns where the one euro house projects have started is because young people have left. So there are very few opportunities for, for young people in, in this town. So since I started the project, the mayor has applied for an EU grant to, um, to launch a community center, the first ever community center in Musameli. And so he met with me and asked if my community kitchen, the community kitchen project would also operate out of the community center. And I said, absolutely. So my dream is in that community center, we're going to create a food hub where the community kitchen will, will operate from there as well. So I'll still have the actual one euro house will be accommodation for the students. It'll be the training area. We'll do some cooking there as well. But in the community center, I envisage that it'd be like a drop-in center, a co-working space, a little cafe that people will get to see the project and experience it. But my vision would be as well, it'd be an event space. So then you know, what a great opportunity for young people to come and work in that space to run events or to work if we have a cafe attached to the um, food hub as well. So that's really, you know, I can just see it. And I think that that'd be an opportunity. And also my, my plan would be that this project would become a social enterprise. So, you know, maybe we might uh, start producing jams and preserves and pickles out of all the excess veg we have and we sell that. I'm seeing kind of like a shop in the town as well. But then that's great opportunity. That's a great opportunity for young people and people of the town to come and work as well and create opportunities for them. So, you know, my dream is and my plan is that I'll make myself redundant, that I will work so hard for the first however long it takes that I'll set it up that it becomes a social enterprise, it becomes a proper business, and that it becomes a focal point of the town, that it's thriving and creating jobs for lots of people. I've got uh, Marilla, the big Italian brand, reached out to me. They're interested in sponsoring the project. And so everything I do, I just see it as not, you know, oh, let's just stop at there's food being wasted and then there's vulnerable people and they're connecting. No, I want to see how we can make money and jobs for people of the town. So, right. That's amazing. Um, And food really is at the center of Italian culture. You know, mealtime in Italy has given me so many great memories. So I think this is such um, an amazing project that you're doing there. And moving to Musomeli, um, you mentioned in our previous chat that you're passionate about keeping jobs local. And you've kind of um, talked about that a little bit um, during our um, chat right now. You say that when people contact you, regarding the intention of buying a one-year-o home and you're adamant about reminding them to make sure that if they move there, don't take jobs away from the locals. Yeah. Um, and it's been a really tough year for people. You mentioned on your blog that you have inspired others in the process of purchasing one-year-o homes in Musomeli to turn their homes into social projects as well. So that must feel really good. Absolutely, Courtney. I think, you know, I, I don't want to ever sound like, <laughs> I don't know, negative i don't want to turn people away so that's you know i'm 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 an inclusive person and and however i'm i am so passionate about this town and so grateful for the town how they've accepted me so you know the, the the process of applying to become an italian 
the town, the municipality, the deputy mayor, Totti, made that so easy for me because he knew that I, that's what I wanted, that, that he's, he's helped me. And, you know, I can, on the surface, when you come to this town, you would think, oh, it's a thriving town. There's, there's no poverty here. But if you scratch the surface, there is. And there are, you know, if you spend time here, you will see lines and lines of people lining up the church to get fed because they can't afford to eat. And there's a lot of pride in and Italian culture. And there's a lot of pride, for mm-hmm. sure. You're right, Courtney. And, you know, there's a lot of Italians in this town who won't turn to the municipality for handouts or food vouchers. They will, however, turn to the to the church. Um, so I say to people, just think about how you can enhance this town. I mean, what is it that you can do that could make it better for, for the locals? And if you have it as a second home and you employ the architects and the, and the builders, you're bringing business back into town. That's great. But there are no jobs here, especially if you don't speak Italian. You know, that's why it's right. best if you if you can work remotely. Uh, but come here and experience it too. That's the thing. I think, you know, we live in a time now as a result of the pandemic that people are questioning where they want to live and how they want to live their life. A lot of people are wanting to move to, co- to the country and they want to move countries uh, as well. And I think they see it as like, oh, I'll get the house as a bargain and then you know, I can work. Um, yeah, I just, and I'm very, I'm very honest with people because <laughs> I, the last thing I right. want people to move here and then they have to move away. Um, but there's some wonderful people I've met here. There's a Aussie by the name of Mark and he's, uh, he wants to start a, a wellness center here. So he wants to, um, you know, start doing kind of, he's very much into, um, the whole breathing and cold water um, remedies. <laughs> so that's great. <laughs> that's great for the town because he can teach the town, and he's he's willing to volunteer and do that for free until such time as he can um, set up a business. But he's also realistic. He's an electrician, so he's looking for work, you know, out of town as electrician as well. So, you know, there are there are um, just. I I, th- I think I'm managing people's expectations before they come. That's what I that's what I tend to do. Right. And through your own experiences. So, and, you know, we are a local small business. Our business is Zero Dream Travel. Um, We promote a slow travel philosophy. Um, And I feel kind of like we have the same goal in mind to create community by supporting local business, uh, which in turn supports the local economy. So let's turn to travel for just a moment. What is your definition of sustainable or slow travel? Um, And how do you think travelers gain a more authentic experience by supporting local businesses with this philosophy? Yeah. Well, obviously, the slow food movement here in Italy is is incredible. Uh, I've had some of the best meals of my life at restaurants that are or little, you know, even delicatessens that are part of the slow slow food movement. I'm a strange traveler in a sense i guess because i come from the gold coast in queensland where it's tourist central so i i guess that's why i love this town um because i don't like really going to crowded places and having to (laughs) fight my way to see something just so i can record it on the phone and share it on social media um I'm very, I haven't got a car as yet. I'm just about to buy a car. But when I do, um, I'm looking forward to just traveling to like Sotera, which is near here. Or I've heard there's some great little agritourism um, restaurants in the hills surrounding uh, Musamali. That's where I'll start. Um, I'm a bit, 
and maybe that's where you can help me. <laughs> I'm a bit perplexed about beaches. I really don't know where to go in Sicily. Um, I've heard that <laughs> there's some amazing nature reserves near Trapani, which I would probably be more drawn to. I'd probably be drawn to a place where you park the car and then walk for an hour and then there's no one else around. <laughs> so that's what I'm interested <laughs> in. Um, and, and interestingly enough, too, I I met uh, I met another tour guide the other day who just happened to be in town with a friend of mine, a lawyer who's setting up my charity. And they're looking at making Mosamele a destination to travel to as well because of the one euro houses, but then also for my community kitchen. So the idea is, and that'd be lovely for you as well. So, you know, Mosamele, you probably couldn't spend a week here because it's there's not a great deal to do, but imagine on the way, because it's in the middle, on the way maybe from Palermo or Catania to Agrigento or Trapani. Absolutely. It's in a great oh, location. Yeah, you stop off and you have, an, you have a meal in a community kitchen where all the food is food that would have been wasted. I mean, that's that to me is something really interesting and I think more around fits with slow food. So it's like slow down and look look past um, look past the touristy spots, slow down and look past right. all that. And support the local community, which is exactly what we want to do. So currently, the Community Kitchen is a social project for vulnerable people to help vulnerable people. But your hope is that it will turn, as you said, into an opportunity for young chefs. So what are your, as a creative, what is your vision moving forward for the Community Kitchen? So my dream, Courtney, is that we will, Mussamelli will become a destination. I can see that there will be a cooking school in Musamele, but it is a cooking school like no other. So it will be a cooking school where people who are from hospitality or are interested in food will come and learn about community kitchens. But they'll also learn about the, you know, food systems and, you know, their place, food, how food is um, re- relative to them. So I can just sort of see, you know, that it's a destination where people come and study about community kitchens because community kitchens is also going to, my plan is, and my vision as well is to work with restaurants back in the UK where these young chefs, maybe they will, instead of just, after they've trained with me, instead of just going back and then working, you know, 50 hours as a chef every week because it, you know, can be taxing, that they be taken on as a community champion. So when they go to the restaurant, they can work with the head chefs and the restaurant managers and the staff on how to make the restaurant sustainable, what they're doing in their local community. So it's I'm really sort of like empowering community champions, but I'm not being ageist, but it feels like to me that because of my background that I need to be focusing on young chefs because I think young chefs are going to have a challenge one, not only in the fact that the restaurant industry is suffering because of the pandemic, but secondly, because I think we need to be offering these young minds and these young chefs something more than just nine to five of cooking, because a lot of chefs get burnt out, a lot of chefs get a bit disenfranchised, sort of disillusioned with, with the system. And then I am also going to, initially, I thought to myself, well, how? what's the criteria going to be for these young chefs? I mean, uh, you know, who is it that's going to come along and how can I select? Right. They're going to have a committee to help me to do this. So the selection process will be for young chefs who are already doing something that is community-minded. So they're already, you know, what projects are they doing in their town? What are they doing in their restaurant that's community-minded? What voluntary work are they doing? And so they're already sort of, you know, they're already partly on that journey. And I think that's that's a great opportunity for them 
So they would come to me for six weeks, but then in the three weeks, so it would be six weeks on, three weeks off, and in the three weeks off, I'll then have volunteer chefs coming to cook in the kitchen. And in those three weeks, we will do outreach in the community. We'll do outreach with other charities here, and that'll be the time to kind of work with more kind of marginalized groups as well, which is my background. Um, I was really adamant with the training program, though, that it really is for someone initially that's community-minded to start with. You had this post on your blog. Um, I've been enjoying reading your blog. Um, and you said, timing is everything. And I agree so much with this in love, work, taking a leap toward your passion, travel. You talked about traveling to Uluru, which is a sacred place um, to Australia's indigenous people, a spiritual place. You, you said you'd never traveled there till you were 56 and that the trip had a profound effect on you. And you wondered why you'd never um, been there before, but you felt that the time was right for your first visit. So now you've moved to Sicily full-time. Some say that we explore and we come full circle, ending up where we're supposed to be. So do you think you have come full circle? It's a really good question. Uh <laughs> I feel like in many ways I'm just beginning to tell you the truth. Just because I had 17 years of gaining all of those skills and, as I said before, always for other people's projects or other charities or other organisations, moving to Musamele really feels it's just the beginning at 56 that this is, is my project. It, it's It's almost like it's my time to embark on this journey and Uluru was extraordinary I truly believe if I visited there even five years earlier I wouldn't have been as affected as I was and it was it was life-changing the, the, the funny thing is too though it really it really made me think about Australia too so I mean this might be my journey to get me back home um, yeah so full circle, no beginning, yes. Mary Oliver was a Pulitzer Prize winning poet. In one of her poems called The Summer Day, she says at the end, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Um, I love this because I'm now in my early 40s and I ask myself a form of this question pretty frequently. Um, for me, I think my goal is to take my deepest learning experiences, which have truly been had through the vulnerability produced by travel and life's adversity and share them to inspire others to live authentically. So you, what do you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? What is the takeaway? To be happy. I, you know, I, I struggled um, myself with the mental health challenges for a very, 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 very long time. And I think that's why I resonated and, and really felt in many ways San Patriano was like coming home to me. Um, and I, I learned through giving back and volunteering and to be happy. And, and you know, happiness is a choice. And I always used to think it wasn't. I always used to think that there are moments of light and lightness that come and they go. And there was a, there was, there used to be quite a lot of darkness in my life. And what I've learned since is that every day, every moment, every minute, every second, I have a choice. You know, I, I, I cried today. There's a beautiful video of an American singer called Nightbirds um, who has cancer. And she was on America's Got Talent, I think it is. 
And she was interviewed by CNN um, just about her journey and story. And I just cried and sobbed. And I think, you know, there are moments where I can be sad, but it's not like this black hole where it feels like I'll never be able to, to, to survive. Um, and I just have learned to be happy. And I've also learned that, you know, that's a great place to be able to help others. Um, you know, I, I help others because I can. You know, I have perfect health, I have a beautiful family, I have amazing friends, I have an inquiring mind, I've worked hard to make sure that I'm financially secure. I help because I can. You know, I, 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 I don't help because it makes me feel better. I don't help because I think I should have to have to help. I help because I can. And this perfect life for me is all about being happy. So thank you to Danny McCubbin, digital consultant, speaker, food campaigner, and creator of multiple inspiring stories. So for more information on Danny, photos from the interview, and information on how to follow his community kitchen project in Musomeli, like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Azura Dream Travel or visit us at AzuraDreamTravel.com. So Wanderlusters, Azura Dream Travel can plan your sustainable dream trip to Italy by connecting you to small local businesses. Let us help you create your own Italian love story. 